0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Final Tackle Podcast and the first of our Olympian type series and he is a dual Olympian at the 2016 and 2020 slash 21 Olympics for the Australian judo team, Nathan Katz. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: No worries, mate. Thanks for having me.
0: Nah, it's pleasure's all mine, mate. Uh, so let's get started. Um, judo, uh, what got you into judo?
1: Yeah, so... Um judo is very much ingrained in, in my family. Mum went to the Seoul 1988 Olympics when judo was a demonstration sport. So she's yep. a Philly Olympian as well. Um, they, didn't wow. count, they didn't count the medals from from that games, but they represented Australia at the Olympics. It's it's an Olympian to me. That's, um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, my dad was actually her Olympic coach. So, oh,
0: wow. Um, so judo straight up in the family.
1: Yeah. So it was pretty natural for me to be heavily involved, like from a very young age. I wasn't, I mean, I didn't start taking like kids' classes and stuff till I think I was five or six, but I was always in and around judo, and um, and I think I always enjoyed that environment. But when you when you're around something so much at that age, you're molded by your environment. So um, I definitely enjoyed that scene, and um, judo was just very much fun to me for a long time. Like I was always competitive as a kid, but I think at that age, everything's fun, and you don't you're not too fast. I remember I didn't yeah, love losing. You just losing, go to the
0: classes, I, sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I loved winning and didn't like losing, like most yep. kids. But absolutely, um, I played all sport really until I was about thirteen or f- I think about fourteen. I started. What other
0: sports 14. did you do other than judo?
1: I uh, played a lot of tennis. I liked footy. Played a bit of soccer. Like honestly, footy is
0: in rugby league or yeah, AFL. Like,
1: honestly, anything that yep. that um, that my parents would sort of get me to. Uh, it sort of became a stage where that we just ran out of time. And my parents only had two cars between two people, <laughs> and they only had two parents. So there's only so much you can do. Of course. Um, but yeah, so then at about 14, I started just doing judo as opposed to a bunch of other sports. I think it's that pretty critical age where you can be good at a lot of things or try and be great at something. And I decided that that judo was, was what I wanted that to be.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, and the proof's in the pudding, um, as you said, your mum's an Olympian your father was an Olympic coach for judo and you yourself went to Rio in 2016 and Tokyo uh, just happening at the moment. You're currently in quarantine. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how did the prep differ for this year's Olympics? Because it, there was an extra year more or less um, compared to the Rio Olympics.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was uh it was night and day different between, between the two in Rio. I qualified my spot officially in April. So. Um, of that really- year. Of that year. So about three months before the games. Um mm-hmm. this time obviously, and so for three months we were preparing for one event. We fought a couple of other things and had a bunch of training camps and and that, but it was very centralized and focused around around Rio. Um yep. with Tokyo, the qualification system became much more difficult. We had to qualify through Asia instead of Oceania, which Ooh, in okay. judo is um ridiculously more difficult. Um the Asian countries are very strong. So I actually, yeah. I actually missed qualification um, at the last event. I missed the quota position by one spot. I was one spot off qualifying. So um I came home into quarantine and I was pretty down, pretty disappointed having having missed out on my second Olympics, having put so much time and effort, and I had had a lot of issues, I guess, physically over the over the period. So I was gutted, and um, I was having a bit of time off and nursing some injuries and some things that I was dealing with and, um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, yeah. And then I got a call about 16 days before my day at the Olympics, just to say that, um, someone had been deselected. There was an issue with another person that had, had been selected. Um, mm-hmm. that had qualified one spot ahead of me. So, um, they said, wow. Look, you have, uh, you have 16 days get in shape and and you'll be going to Tokyo.
0: You had a golden ticket really?
1: Yeah. So, it was, it was definitely a whirlwind period having, I mean, building up for so long towards the games and then dealing with yep. the disappointment of missing out and then getting sort of that second shot. I was very grateful, but I was really not preparing for the Olympics up until that point. I sort of did my prep so, over.
0: So it so kind of um, disadvantaged you a little bit, as in because you could have gone a bit further in the Olympics, do you think, compared to last time sort of thing? I mean, if I would had, I had wouldn't, that extra time?
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't want to say that for sure because okay. the type of the nature of a sport like judo, I could have had an unbelievable prep and lost my first round match that I actually won off short prep. So, yeah. Um, yeah. the the nature of judo it's like so dynamic and and I know everyone always says anything can happen, but really at the Olympics really in a can. sport like judo, anything can happen. Um Absolutely. Sure, I would have loved a long prep, but I mean, I also am a lot happier having. The opportunity to be at these games and to get into the top sixteen, then to be sat oh, at home and, man, and that's that,
0: that's amazing. To like, let me put it this way: it's more than I've ever done for the Olympics. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, yeah. And as you said, you know, you can do all the prep in the world, but nothing will prepare you for match day, for lack of a better term. You know,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think that's what everyone wants to go into an event like the Olympics, knowing that they've done everything they could, and and I still had that that belief and that confidence, knowing that. With the time I had, I had done everything I could, and yeah, I didn't really leave any stone unturned in my prep. And um, so, you had
0: no regrets, even like as you said, you you bowed out in the round of sixteen, but you have no regrets bowing out at that stage because you've done everything you could.
1: Yeah, that's right. Obviously, there's it doesn't it doesn't stop me from being disappointed. Um, of course not. No. Obviously, my aim was to to be on the podium and to bring a medal home to Australia. Uh, do but, it in
0: twenty twenty four. Yeah, length, I mean sure. that's that's
1: still the goal. But like I said, if you if you put it all on the line and and you don't have any regrets, then then you can live with yourself after that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and 2016 Rio Olympics was your first Olympics, but you also went with your brother for judo at the Olympics together. What was that experience like? Not only getting the call up for the Olympics for lack of a better term, you know, making it, and then going with your brother who's going for the same sport.
1: Yeah, that was a, it was an unbelievable experience. And dad was a, our personal coach in Rio. So, he, he got to come over and come into the village and be at the competition with us. And that was really special for our family to get to, to share that together. And mum came over to Rio and my auntie. So we had a few people over there, which was, which was amazing. And I think that made Tokyo a little bit bittersweet with Josh also missing out very narrowly. Mm. And with COVID, obviously, mum and dad or my girlfriend or family and friends. They, Japan's not that far in the scheme of things. So
0: No, it's think, really I'll, not.
1: I think a lot of people would have come over. But like I said... I think all the athletes are very grateful that we still had the opportunity to to be in Tokyo this year. So Absolutely. we'll take it.
0: No, that's for sure. Um and honestly, that's that's on it. I can't like it's it's amazing to be able to, you know, compete for your nation alongside your brother and then have your father, as you said, as the coach. That's stuff the dreams are made of. Um what was it like growing up, you know, as you said, your dad was your personal coach at the Olympics? Was he your personal coach? in general once you'd sort of you know made the highest uh belt sort of thing in judo
1: yeah so um the way our club works we're in castle hill at Budokan judo club in sydney so um mom is the junior coach she coaches all the kids up until about 13 or 14 and um so she was my coach i guess up until 13 14 and, and even today she still has a big influence on on me and my judo and, and my mentality and and then dad, I mean, dad also always helped us during that period up to that age. And then he looks after the older group. Um, so he's been, yeah, my personal coach that whole time. But I think they were very supportive of Josh and I, regardless of what we wanted to do. They they really weren't bothered if it was Judo. Um, yep. They were very supportive of us wanting to work hard and do extra work and travel domestically and internationally. But they certainly weren't like dragging us out of bed at yeah. four in the morning to train. It stuff. was like, if,
0: yeah, that they, which I think is is very... Um, again i've not really been the on the receiving end as a child like that but i can definitely understand that as as you said like it's integral to um feel like you're not being forced as a kid to like oh i have to go to judo lessons it's yeah let's go to judo lessons sort of thing
1: absolutely and i think that reflects the fact i'm now 26 still choosing to travel a dual olympian this where so many kids 14 15 you can tell the ones that I mean, I wasn't always I mean, I, I won a lot of nationals at 14, 15, 16, but I didn't win every single event. And there's not too many of those kids around that I was competing with at that age because you I mean, there's a couple, but a lot of them are, you know, dad was a little bit wishing that his his life was a bit more like the kid that he's living right now. Gotcha, and, yep. and they living get
0: vicariously through their kid.
1: That's right. And they get to 18 or 19 and give their dad the finger and aren't interested in doing judo anymore.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, which it does happen, unfortunately, um, and wouldn't wish it on anyone either. No, uh, no. Now, as you said, you have won a few national titles. Uh, what is the national title that you've won that's you know cl- like closest to your heart or you know dearest to you?
1: Um, I think in 2018, I had I had a really bad start to the year. I'd had I think I was really missing home. I'd I'd been away for three or four months. Um, I think maybe longer, actually. I think I'd been away for about four or five months at the end oh, of wow. 2017. And then the first three months, 2018, I was away. And I, I was really struggling being away from home. I think I was a bit over it. I had a few injuries. I was struggling in my weight and my results in competition were reflecting. I was really struggling. And mm-hmm. um, a week before Olympic qualification actually started, I got a knee in my back in sparring and I broke the bone at the bottom of my, like ooh. almost my tailbone. Yep. Um,
0: Which, I, can't,
1: I can't remember what the it's coccyx, called, one of those coccyx, yeah, yeah just yeah. above the coccyx yeah um, i shattered that i got a knee and, and shattered it and um and i around that period i actually got took off all of my geo australia funding mm. um which obviously as a full-time athlete relying on financial support on sponsors for sure yeah sponsors that was that was disappointing and upsetting especially when i wasn't too happy with myself anyway i had been struggling for a bit and um and then that happened so
0: could have been understandable I mean, to chuck it all in and leave the sport by that. Yeah,
1: sounds. I mean, I think I haven't really ever had like that, that sort of like quit when things became really difficult mentality. I sort of okay, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder when that happened, and I sort of wanted to prove the people wrong that oh, you can take me off funding, but I'm still going to be the best, and I'm still going to win, and I'm still going to get what I want to get to. And yeah, um, I got healthy and got back on the mat about four weeks before the nationals, and um. And I had a really good day that day. There were two boys I had lost to previously. I'd beaten them both, but I'd, I'd lost to them previously. And um, I beat them both on that day and won the nationals. And then a couple of weeks later, I won my first international medal in about eighteen. Oh months wow, ago. wow! So, and then and then I got straight back on funding. So so uh, you went
0: from see so literally yeah you went from uh, you know knee to the back damaging just just above your six to um, you know and no sponsors to international winner national winner and sponsors within four weeks of of being recovered. That's amazing. How did that feel?
1: I mean, it was a big relief, I think, because I'm also aware that this isn't something I can do without help of Geo Australia, personal sponsors um, and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm reliant on that to make, to make, I guess this dream happen. And I knew it was at the time it was only two years out from Tokyo. So I knew that the momentum was going to be important uh, to Mm -hmm. qualify. Obviously the games got delayed, but, um, yeah, I mean it was a big relief. I hadn't won a senior nationals at that point. And and I think it was just like from that point on, I didn't really care anymore about what people said or what people thought or the opinions they had. I knew that if that my team backed me and believed in me, then then that was enough and that and that I could I could get what I wanted to get to, I think.
0: Oh, that's awesome. As they do say back yourself and you know the rest will follow. And absolutely agreed with that. Um as as we just touched on the 2021 or 2020 slash twenty one Tokyo Olympics was uh, for lack of a better term, a clusterfuck, not the current, not, not how it's being run or anything, mad props to everyone who's run it, but obviously with COVID and having to postpone it is more so what I'm meaning. Um, how did you personally, as you said, you only found out about 16 days before, you know, it was ready to go and all that. But um, in general, when it was announced, it's being postponed, how did that news hit you? And how, how did you feel about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy period because, obviously I went to Rio and um, I was in Rio, I was actually beating a boy. I think we had 20 seconds to go to make the last 16 then that I'd beaten before. And I just made a bit of a mistake and I lost and I was shattered after, after Rio much more so than the way I am after Tokyo. I was, I was gutted and I was so disappointed. Um, and I carried that with me for a long time. I don't think I was like, really, I didn't think I appreciated the fact that I'd been to the games and, and represented Australia and, um, and I think it's something that people should be proud of regardless of their outcome at the games, but I really wasn't, I think for, for a number of years, I didn't like talking about Rio much. I didn't like watching it. Um, I didn't love sort of being involved in that sort of Olympic stuff. Cause it just didn't feel, I didn't have that many positive memories to be honest from, you, you
0: didn't feel like an Olympian sort of thing, is I mean,
1: I, I was, I knew I was, okay. but I, yeah. I don't think I felt really proud of it or, um, I felt a little bit bitter towards the whole games, just the way that my competition went. So okay. when they announced that the games was postponed, I think it was the first time that I really appreciated and felt a bit more proud of some of those experiences, just because, you know, everyone's always says like the, you realize what you don't have. or oh, you realize what you have when it's gone. And that's yeah. sort of the way I sort of felt about Tokyo. Like that was what we'd put so much effort into. And, and then to think that, I mean, they, they were talking about canceling it before it was delayed yeah, even probably up to six weeks before, they were still talking about cancelling it. There were rumours all the time. And whenever I'd see a physio or a doctor or someone, they'd be like, oh, have you heard the games? And I was just, just it was tiring, obviously, honestly. Um, so I think that was a big turning point, obviously, for me. And, uh, and then and that's when I realised, like, I'd do anything to get back to, to that Olympic stage. And it was obviously a difficult year for a lot of athletes. I mean, not just athletes, people. There were people with a lot more struggles than then athletes wanting to go to the Olympics and dreaming of the Olympics. But, I mean, without being um, self-obsessed, that's all that most athletes that are aiming for the Olympic Games are focused on. Always,
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: It was a a difficult year, but, I mean, we got through it. And, I mean, it's a difficult year now too. There's a lot of other stuff going on more important than the Olympics. But, um, yeah, I'm glad that we got to the Games and that they were run safely.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, Because there was obviously news of um, there being – like hundred and twenty something connected cases to people and Olympians in the village. Did um, any of that affect you and your, you know, having with the protocols while you were over in Tokyo?
1: No, we've travelled a lot this year for judo. So this is actually my fourth hotel quarantine. Um, oh, yeah, so in eight
0: months, far out.
1: Fifty. Today's my fifty-first day in hotel quarantine this year. Uh-huh. So. I um, oh. yeah I wonder if anyone in Australia has done more. That'd be interesting. Probably we can find out. One.
0: We'll put the question to people and when this goes up, we'll be like, well, I'll put a poll. Say, have you spent more than 51 days in quarantine this year?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll buy anyone a case that has because they deserve it. Um, mm. But yeah, so I was pretty used to the traveling and the wearing masks and the COVID testing and all that sort of thing. And it was honestly a relief to be honest, because um, Sydney had been in lockdown. And when we went over there, I thought it was going to be much, much stricter than what it was. I thought you'd be in your room the whole time. And
0: Yeah. Well, that's the vibe that I was getting from the news.
1: Yeah. And it, and it wasn't really that bad. I mean, the Olympia, Australian Olympic team did an amazing job at keeping our country quite isolated and, and quite mm, safe. They had
0: their own gym in the basement, didn't they, or
1: something? A gym in the basement. We had like a nutrition center. So you, you didn't have to go to the dining hall if you didn't want yeah, find-
0: to. So I've been seeing it on TikTok. I, I saw the... I'm sure you've been keeping up with that on TikTok as well. Um, and it, it, is it really, you know, as you were saying, um, as structured as that?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. They had recovery center, gym, food, all the rehab stuff like physio and doc. Honestly, you could probably um, not leave the Australian building. We did. We still went to the, the dining hall like for lunches and dinners, but we had our breakfast always like just in our building because it was, it was safe and easy to do so. I mean, I'm also not scared of COVID. I'm, I'm conscious no, no. of being safe and healthy, but I'm not afraid to leave my room also. Of uh, course.
0: Uh, was there any... Uh, did you... Was the Australia building... Was it each country had their own building or was it two countries per building sort of thing?
1: So the bigger teams mostly have their own space. I think we had a, a few of the smaller Oceania nations at the top of our building, like 16th yeah. and 18th floor, something like that. Yeah. But we had largely our own building uh, and at least our own section of that building. So we didn't of have course. to get and and that sort of thing, which... It was great. Like, I think they did, they did such a good job at um, making everyone feel comfortable and safe. And, like I said, I wasn't worried about that when I went, but I certainly didn't have any worries over there. And I was we were doing COVID testing every day. So, I don't think you could have really been in a much safer spot, to be honest. Other than the yeah. fact that there were so many people from different countries, um, you couldn't have been more looked after.
0: Oh, wow. Well, mad props to the International Olympic Committee, Tokyo, Japan, and everyone involved for organizing that so. Perfectly, um, and 2024 uh, Olympics is the next Olympics, so only three years away because of the extended uh, delay of Tokyo. Uh, do you hope to, you know, try and have a go at for a uh, little word vomit? I'll do a quick. So, 2024 Paris Olympics, do you hope to make it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, with with one year less, there's there's a bit less time than we had after Rio to sort of like smell the roses and have a bit of time off and and to rest for a little bit. So I'm going to have a little break now and uh, just to get some of my body sorted. I mean, a break from high level, high, like full-time training, I'll yeah. still training and stay in shape, but um, I want to get sort of my body a bit right. I've been dealing with a lot of injuries in the last nine months. Um, okay.
0: what, what sort of injuries would those be?
1: I've got, I've got a small tear in my elbow um, and I've got a bulging disc and a, a stress fracture in my back, which I've been, the main things that I've been sort of dealing with for the last nine months,
0: and and um, and you competed with those at the Olympics,
1: far I mean, out. I mean, it sounds it sounds wild, and, and definitely I think there weren't probably too many people with too much more stuff going on. But I think people would be shocked if they saw the warm up room at an Olympic Games, and oh. the amount of people that have issues going in that they put aside for a day because it's their life. It's their dream. Oh,
0: that's it. Like rugby league players play injured for lack of yeah. a better term, you know, but it's still crazy to think about, you know, especially with this sport um, like judo, where you need all of your bones basically intact. Um, how do you deal, as you said, with the, you know, the bulging disc and all that, especially at, at the Olympics?
1: I mean, I think I've had 10 or 11 quarters only in the last nine months. So I've definitely been held together a little bit by my physio and doctors and stuff like that. But Um, obviously without being cliche, I think it's just like a desire thing. I think when, when you want something to the extent that I did with Tokyo and performing there, then, I mean, that doesn't mean there's not days when you're in a lot of pain and you have to, you have to make little shifts and changes to training to just get through it. But, um, I just decided that that sort of discomfort and that, that pain was worth it for, for wanting to get through. And I think most athletes, I think it, it sounds really impressive and I think it is. I think it's, Oh, it is. I think it's great that people are able to do that, but I think it's just—it's really ingrained in like the culture of sport at that level that people are it's willing. Just,
0: it's just what you do. It's a known thing, sort of thing. Would you? Say? I don't know.
1: I don't know where I read it, but I think it was someone that sort of said like they'd lose an arm or they'd lose a leg or something to win Olympic gold medal. And I think if you did a survey around the village of how many people would be willing to like have significant physical damage to to get that would be surprising to people about how many because there's not That's much. how
0: committed you guys are.
1: There's not much that most people wouldn't do to achieve, and it's not just the Olympics, but most you see the footy boys like, you know, they'll the give boys, anything
0: uh, to win a grand final, you know. Absolutely.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, I got through it. I'm happy to have gotten through it, and now I'm I'm looking forward to a little break and then and a bit of rehab. Yeah, we'll do Com Games next year. That's uh, yep. in July. August, that at? In Birmingham. Oh wow. Yeah. So, the UK obviously seems to be doing a bit better with vaccinations and stuff than we are. So, I'm hoping that by
0: this time next year, it'll absolutely be like on top of for sure yeah
1: i'd imagine so so that's exciting and then it'll be two years until paris so absolutely i think it's very let's
0: so go 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 especially with the so you've literally got next year and then you've got paris right after more or less
1: yeah so um i think this period now is going to be really important to like unwind get healthy and and mm. be really, mo- motivation's never been an issue but get that love and desire back um yep for the new cycle because it is a long three years doesn't sound like a long time but It goes so fast when um, qualification starts in some aspects, but it also goes very slow from a physical Mm. perspective. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. There's a lot of big things coming in the next couple of years. I think Josh, my brother, and I are really getting towards our peak. So um, I think it's an exciting couple of years for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, And just touching on some injuries and well, not as you said, you know, your, your back and um, you know your elbow and stuff. What were there any setbacks and injuries that helped shape your path to the current Olympics that had just happened?
1: Um, in, it's it's difficult to say in terms of health. I mean, when I think at when I was sixteen, I uh, I had a really like a, a fairly minor tear in my knee, like a, I think my meniscus, like maybe grade yep. two. Like surgery wasn't necessary, but it wasn't great, and I had it injected. I think. Um, and strapped up and stuff. It was about two weeks before our nationals. And um, that year was the first year that I was aiming to get to like the under 17 world championships. And yep. I was also fighting in under twenties and seniors. So oh, shit. I, I did that knee about two weeks before. And I remember sort of, it's that age where I it was pretty clear that I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted an Olympic medal. I wanted to do this for a living, for a job. And yep. I wanted to put everything into judo. And when I did it, you know, like I sort of said to my dad, like, well, I have to fight. Like I can't not fight because of this. Like there's too much on the line. And obviously when we were younger there, that wasn't a thing. Like we weren't allowed to strap stuff up to be able to, like if you were injured, like you didn't fight, like. You take the week off sort of thing. Absolutely. Or as long as you needed. And yeah, that was of sort course, of the yeah. first time that I said to dad, like, come on, like I want to, this is what I want to do. Like, and they sort of mum and dad sort of helped me get through that period of, you know, like a lot of physio and strapping my knee up and, and I mean, it, it paid off that year at the Nationals with the little tear in my knee. I won under-17s. I lost, oh, wow. at, I lost in the final of under-20s and I lost in the final of senior men. So, it was my first. So, you time. made
0: two finals and won a third one.
1: Yeah. And that was my first time ever fighting seniors at the Nationals, like Open age. Wow. Um,
0: and you made the final. Wow. Yeah.
1: And I think that was that was sort of when, that was a really good teachable moment that, that there's a difference between things that set you, obviously, if I ruptured my ACL or I don't know, broke my leg or something like that. That's, of like
0: course, that. a setback, yeah.
1: You, you can't fight. There's nothing you can really do about a broken leg. You you can't fight a broken arm, yeah. whatever. But
0: yeah. this
1: there's, there are things that you can push through and overcome. And and I think a lot of it is mental because I didn't really train for that, that two weeks or so before when I did my knee. So I think that was a big teaching point that um, things can go wrong and it doesn't mean that's the end of the road and they don't define your story, but you can sort of push on. And I think they were they've helped me a lot in the last 12 months when, um, things have, you know, like my body's failed so many times that it would have been so easy to go, Oh, like this is just too hard. And I would have had a great built-in excuse that my back, my rib, my elbow, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I think no one really cares about that stuff until you really make it to be perfectly honest. Like it's a, it's a great story. People feel sorry with you for you, but I knew that these were things that were difficult, but that I could get through and, um, and getting through them and then having, having the result I did at the games, I think was, was special.
0: Oh, of course, because as you said, even rugby league, you know, people would be like, Oh, I made reserve guard. I would have made an if it wasn't, you know, for me knee or me back. But yeah, as you said, um, tenfold agreed with that. It's yeah, I, I absolutely resonate with that. Um, I think
1: more than not succeeding. Like that's my biggest fear in terms of like finishing my career, whether or not I have an Olympic gold medal. If I've been to five Olympics, one Olympics, no Olympics, I think it's, if you know when you finish that, that you did it all, like you put it all on the line every time. You, you did, did everything you could. That, you didn't quit when there were difficult moments, then you can be disappointed with your career, maybe for a short period, but you're not going to be you're not going be devastated and heartbroken and you can live with yourself after that. So that's all I ask of myself, really.
0: Absolutely agreed. Um, honestly, I, I, well, I mean, I wouldn't know personally because I've not made it to that level, but I can absolutely um, understand how that, that could be something like you were saying you'd you'd have absolute regrets i think if you didn't you know at least try and yep, by absolutely. the sounds you're definitely doing that and you made the round of 16 and hey maybe we'll see you on a podium at 2024 and a podium next year at the commonwealth games which i didn't even know the Com games were coming up again so soon like as you were saying like um it's olympics right now and it's Last time I remember the Olympics was London 2012, and then obviously there was Rio in between. It just goes that quickly. Yeah, um, sure. it, it, it's crazy to think about. Um, now, Damasi's soldiers. Uh, I know uh, we we had a chat just before we started recording, um, but I found on Google, you know, your inspiration uh, for this year's Olympics was Damasi's soldiers. Did you want to uh, uh, mention as to why or how <laughs> that I came mean, about?
1: I've got a bit of a WhatsApp group with a couple of my mates that are um are pretty big on sport and don't mind having a punt from from time to time so um i think one of them might have might have got on wikipedia and had a little nudge on that so
0: thanks
1: yeah, boys for doing that but um
0: cheers like, for yeah. the stitch up boys <laughs>
1: yeah I, appreciate, I, appreciate, I, I don't have the technology savviness to to do anything like that so fair play no
0: nah, honestly that's that's great though that's what it mate's for right <laughs> um what was i going to say so 2024 hopes so i'm just going through the list now um Obviously, your mum, Kerry, we just we did uh, dabble in earlier that she was part of the exhibition um, or demonstration of judo at the 1988 Olympics. Um, What has she spoken to you about how that felt? Obviously, 2016 being your first Olympics, did she talk to you and Josh about, you know, how it felt for her in 1988 and, you know, try and teach you some sort of, you know, lessons. And if so, what what does she say?
1: Yeah, I think when we were younger, she's very unassuming when it comes to judo. Like, she doesn't talk about what she did and her. I mean, she. I think she won the nationals nine or ten times, like something. something Excuse me, right. like what? Yeah, and <laughs> that's insane. We, and we never really knew some of that until we got a bit older and sort of other people. You sort of like get your eye gets caught a little bit when you go to a competition at national level and everyone knows like who you are because of your mum and your dad. So, um, she would she really didn't talk about it too much, but she did like instill that we did obviously we didn't know i mean at that age when you're young you don't even really know uh, mum
0: did that that did that yeah and it's cool but
1: as we got older like we obviously became a bit more intuitive and were asking questions and um she always sort of took a back seat with coaching and and really pushing it was always very supportive and she just really told us how special i think that experience was rather than trying to teach a whole lot of lessons and stuff like that it was just really too instill, like, how special it is to, to go to the Olympics for Australia and um, to enjoy the moment, like, that it's really worth working hard towards achieving something like that because it was so special. So she definitely helped us a little bit. A lot of things are different now and then, too. Like, there wasn't any things like media, social media, um, all that stuff that obviously is now when you get announced for the Olympics, there's a whole lot of that that sort of blows up. So there's a lot of differences, but definitely we we had a lot of moments and lessons from from her growing up that helped us prepare for the Olympics for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, as, as you said, it's been instilled in you from a little kid, you and Josh both with your parents being so heavily involved with judo is kind of a no-brainer. Um, what is your earliest memory of being in either a judo competition or, you know, something like that?
1: Um, there's a picture of, I think, me and my dad, when when I'd come off a match maybe nine or nine or ten Um just like a club tournament at our club. And I sort of, I've seen the picture now as I've gotten older and I I, I sort of remember that a little bit. I think I do briefly remember a little bit about like the first Nationals I won when I was 11. Like I just sort of remember that moment a little bit. A few little bits from when I was younger, like some kids comps and stuff, but like very, very grainy memories at this point. But obviously all, all super cool stuff too as you get a bit older and reflect on some of the stuff that you've done growing up.
0: Have you ever had to fight against Josh in a competition? No,
1: nah, never, never. So he's my main training partner, but he fights the weight below me, which is...
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, which is good because obviously we don't want to fight in competition. Like we, we help each other. Like, So I, is, is,
0: is that almost on purpose that you fight a weight difference?
1: I mean, it is, but it's natural too. Like I'm yeah. naturally a little bit bigger than him. But if we were the exact same size, we wouldn't fight the same way. Only one person can go to the Olympics per weight, per country. Oh, okay. So, we're not looking to compete for So
0: It also kind of works in well, as you were just saying, only one per weight per country. So, wow. Okay. So, but you've never, as you said, you've never gone up against each other in weights. Have you had sparring against each other? And if so, who's, who's come off second best the most?
1: We've sparred hundreds of hours together. um, Thousands probably of hours like growing up. And now, especially now he's my main training partner. So um, he's very good. Like, I think he's probably at a higher level at his age right now than I was at his age. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he's world class and and he had a lot of setbacks in this cycle which I personally think is the reason he wasn't in Tokyo just he had three major surgeries um, he had so much stuff go on personally that it was very difficult for him but um, I mean there's definitely days I'm a bit bigger that I can I can definitely get the better of him and there's some days when I'm a little tired I'm a little banged up and he has a really good day and he can drag me around too so it's a perfect training partner really because we have we we're super invested in each other's dream and And we're lucky that we get to train with each other for sure.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'd love to get Josh on on the podcast if he's interested. So Josh, if you're listening to this episode when it drops, I'll be be sending you a message on whatever I can to try and get you on because it'd be great to hear his stories as well. Um, Do you have any advice for any youngsters uh, who, you know, have a dream of the Olympics, be it judo or other sports?
1: Yeah, I think being judo, other sport, even not the Olympics, but achieving something at a high level, I think it's just about finding something that, that you love and that you're super passionate about because that the motivation comes and goes in terms of you don't wake up motivated every day when you're banged up, when you're sore, when you're injured, when you've had a long run of being unsuccessful, like in your eyes. Um, but the passion and loving something, I think, is what gets you through. And that's, at the end of the day, in amateur Olympic sports, you can make a living-ish, but you're never going to be driving a, a Ferrari or anything like that. So you have to do it because for the love of it really. And that's what still pushes me now. I love doing judo. I love the life that I get to live because of judo. So I think finding something that you love, that you're super passionate about, and then that stems over to having that really good work ethic and working hard. And I think when you set really big goals and you work really, really hard towards achieving them, you'd be shocked at what you can really achieve. And I've definitely surprised myself in moments where my prep hasn't been good or I've been injured or I just haven't felt great. But when you just back yourself and believe um, you'll be really surprised at the things that you can achieve. So I just, I think they're probably the lessons I'd say nothing's really the whole concept of nothing's ever as good as it seems and nothing's ever as bad as it seems. And I think that's really important to never always enjoying the wins and taking those moments in and celebrating them, but never reveling in them so much that the losses hurt as bad as they can because um, it's not nice losing, especially when you're overseas on your own, maybe. Um, so not staying down for too long and just sort of staying right in the roller coaster, staying on it and just keep chipping away because um, it can take a long time to, to get to that top level and to really make a big impact. So if you just keep chipping away day by day, um, it's definitely attainable.
0: Yeah. Fair. And one last question. What's your favorite move to do in judo?
1: Favorite move. It's called Uchimata. So, I'm like on one leg and I like sort of flick them up with my other leg. It looks cool. You'll have to uh you'll have to look it up. I've done a few.